This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today's guest has been an active member of the kink community for over 12 years. Aside from being a marriage and family therapist, they host parties, events, and educational classes in the Los Angeles area. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. Well, hello, everyone. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. And today we have Jen. Hi, Jen. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing really good. I'm excited to be here. And I'm glad that we chose virtual because it would have taken you like an hour and a half to get here with traffic. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's three hours of time that uh, I could definitely use in other places. So. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Well, Jen, uh, for those of us who might not be familiar with you, uh, would you mind just giving us a little snapshot of who you are? Sure. Uh, so I go by Jen or Miss Jen in the scene. Uh, Lost and Found One is my main profile, which is probably what most people would recognize. Um, I am 45-year-old cis female, she, her pronouns. I identify as bisexual, demisexual, Demi-play, sadie-sexual, all, all those fun things. I, I don't know if I made up that word, sadie-sexual, but uh, okay. a lot of my sexual orientation comes from my sadism. So there you go. Um, I've been in the kink community uh, actively for about 12 or 13 years. <clears throat> Actually started as an S-type for about, I don't know, let's say four years. Was a switch for about five or seven years, and then the last five years or so have identified as a D-type, as a dominant. I run a couple of parties in the scene. Club Awakening is a party that I run for newbies. Uh, and Kinky Karaoke is another one that I run that's uh, really fun. I've done other ones in the past, but those aren't happening right now in the after times. Um, <laughs> I have done, uh, I taught a BDSM 101 class series for about eight and a half years, uh, which I'm currently trying to put up on the internets. Um, I also do the SoCal PolyM support groups and the High Protocol Revival Project, which is uh, in conjunction with my submissive and Mistress Cyan over at Sanctuary. I'm also a marriage and family therapist. Uh, and my submissive Eden and I do a YouTube channel called K is for Kinky JT. So, uh, yeah, I stay busy. I've got a couple of teenagers and a couple of furry babies as well. And not Jesus much time to rest. Christ, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So this is going to be an interesting interview. You are busy. Yes. I, I can only. <laughs> so uh, it's so funny because like, I know, I feel like there's those people that have the energy to like do all of that and I'm I've always been the person to where like hey Brandon you should do this and I'm like no I'm gonna have to let go of something else in order to do that <laughs> like there's I just have no not enough energy you know 
Well, I don't know if I have the energy for everything I do, but but I try. But I you try. make it happen. I yeah. do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go into a little bit about um, sexuality. I think it's like this misconception, like when you come out as gay or queer or bi or whatever, that you like have this grand sudden knowledge of like the whole rainbow. And like I remember coming out to my parents and like, oh, okay. So now every person that's in the LGBTQ plus like spectrum, they're like, so what's this person's deal? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I'm just gay. So, <laughs> so uh, bisexual, when did you figure out for yourself that you were bisexual or demisexual or all of the sexuals that you kind of identify with? The bisexual came first and that okay. was around high school. Yeah. Okay. Do you yeah. remember the day? I don't remember the day. <laughs> so I think it was a gradual process, but it was, so in, in back in my day, uh, this was, this would have been <laughs> early nineties. Um, and in the area that I was in, which was orange County, it, not mm -hmm. like I, I'm from, I'm a native Southern Californian, but it was not like it is now for sure. Um, we had one out person <laughs> in the high school uh, and I wasn't quite ready to go there until I actually left high school and started college. As soon as I went into my first year of college, I immediately joined the uh, LGBT, there wasn't the Q and the plus yet, the LGBT okay. <laughs> uh, club. And it was an interesting time as a bisexual woman. You know, it was very, let's just say I felt more accepted in the straight community than I did in the LGBT community at that time. Mm. There was none of the lesbians wanted to date me, right? Obviously the gay men didn't want to date me. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> the men who were bi weren't out as bi um, because there was a mm. lot more stigma. So there was myself and one other bisexual woman <laughs> in the club. So we dated, uh, okay. you know, it was one of those situations. But yeah, I think in, in high school, you know, I had ended up in some long-term relationships with, I'll say boys because it's high school. So I didn't really embrace the bisexuality until I was kind of free of all of that um, and was surrounding myself with other people in the queer community. So. Okay. So let's talk about the whole bisexual thing. So it's interesting that you say that you kind of didn't really fit in with the other people in the at that point. I remember when it was when it was only four letters. Like that's all our knowledge. I still remember those clubs, and then it became like Q I A or something. And and now we just put a plus. Or I've seen it more often now with just a plus. I just say the whole the whole rainbow at this point, um, right? Because our knowledge is always growing. But I was talking about this the other day with someone who also identifies, I guess loosely is, is queer. And I was saying that like when I was growing up, I went through so much turmoil and, and inner struggle and with family and all this stuff coming out as like gay that I had. And I didn't know any bisexuals at this time, but I had some kind of suppressed resentment towards someone who was able to navigate the straight world comfortably or whatever, whatever that means, you know, or it, through my eyes, at least. And then be able to like come and dip in to like the queer world whenever they felt like it. That's what I thought. Obviously, it's more complex than that. And then right. as I grew older, my understanding of that, like it kind of disintegrated that thought. But I think that, I mean, 
have you experienced that kind of mindset and is it still apparent today? Oh, it's definitely gotten a lot better. Uh, but yeah, it was. So when I was coming out in, and I, I always say that I was relatively out, meaning I was out to everybody except my relatives for a long time. Mm, okay. <laughs> so, but I definitely that by erasure, there was, there was so much stigma around, uh, you know, the reason the the lesbians that I knew wouldn't date me is because, well, you're bi, so I'm just going to assume that you're going to cheat, right? Um, oh, so that was, <laughs> yeah, that was one part of it. The other part was there's so many issues and my brain goes in a million directions. So I'm, if I don't come back to the original question, just That's tell fine. me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, there was the issue too of like whoever I was in a relationship with, suddenly that was my orientation. Like if I'm dating a man, now I'm straight. And if I'm mm. dating a woman, now I'm gay or lesbian. Um, and it's like, well, no, I'm always bi. Like that's, you know, yeah. and I can be monogamous. I can. Uh, I started, you know, going into the polyamory world later in life, but I was married to a man for, I was together with him for 17 years. Um, and that's where the teenagers came from. Uh, okay. <laughs> so even though before, you know, when I met him, I was like, I'm bi, like I was very open about my orientation, but I was, I was monogamous and faithful and I could be those things. And people didn't believe that, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, if you're bi. And at the time we didn't have, well, at least I wasn't familiar with pan. Right. And yeah. so I feel like they probably would have been struggling with, with these same issues, but yeah, so you're going to cheat. You can't be faithful or you're confused. You know, you really, you know, if you spent this much time dating men, then you're probably really straight, but you just like to dabble with, you know, women or, or if you're with a woman, vice versa, you know, it was kind right. of all of that. And, uh, you know, oh, it's a phase, right? The stereotype. Oh my God, I hate that so I know. much. <laughs> <laughs> like this phase has lasted, let's see, uh, <laughs> a first very grade, long like... time. <laughs> so so yeah. the, the, the whole cheating thing, I guess I never thought of that, but is it the, uh, maybe I'm just making this up in my brain. I'm trying to understand the, the cheating thought is that because like in their mind, if you're with a guy, you also want to be with girls. Therefore, you're going to cheat with a girl while you're dating a guy or something. Is that what they're thinking? It's, it's like if you're with only one, but you're bi, clearly you have to have both, which now granted, there are some people who identify as bi or pan and they do prefer having at least, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a sampling in their life, but hopefully are poly and honest about it, etc. But it was the idea of that has to be. And so therefore mm. you will stray. Okay. So, yeah. Wow. I feel like we could go so much deeper into this, but I have so many other questions for you. So we'll put a pin in that for now, but very interesting. And then we went through down a couple other list of sex. Did you say say sexual and demisexual? Demisexual, um, this has been a newer one for me. Uh, even the bisexual has actually switched or changed definition for me as I've gotten older and as there as things have been more discussed, it, I guess, in the community and online and everything else. You know, when I came out, it was the standard kind of traditional definition of, you know, if you're bisexual, that means that you can be attracted to cis men and, and or cis women, right? Mm. So that was kind of the 
traditional definition. And that's just all I knew and how I defined it for myself uh, for many, many years. And more recently, I have started taking on the definition that I since have learned, uh, which was more about, yes, bisexual refers to two, right? But it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, cis men, Those cis women. Ah, yeah, I never yeah. thought of that. Right? So I was like, well, wait. And so I had to wrap my head around that. Like, okay, so bisexual means, you know, at least two. But the difference from pan is that it's at least two, but not all, right? Mm-hmm. Or any. Oh, that's another stereotype too. If you're, if you're, I've had other women who are like, well, if you're like afraid that I'm attracted to them just because they're a woman and I'm bi and I'm like, well, it doesn't mean I'm attracted to every woman. Right. <laughs> like, are you attracted to every man? Like, I, love that. I love that. My, like when I first came out and like guys are being like, oh, well, I'm like, you know, right? I'm a dude and, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, honey, you're not that cute. Like <laughs> get over it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I had a straight woman say, cause I said, well, on your profile, cause she was trying to date myself and my uh, male partner at the time. And she said, well, I, I said, well, your, your profile says straight. And she said, yeah, well, you know, I, I'm not, a, I, I didn't change it to buy or, or anything because I'm not attracted to all women. And I said, that is probably the straightest answer. <laughs> I've never heard that. Before. I didn't move forward. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's like, uh, am I? What? <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah, so that was the bisexual piece has taken on a little bit of a shift uh, for me lately. Um, the demisexual is interesting. That is also something that I've I've identified as for for several years now, but that has also taken a bit of a shift recently. You know, demisexual, typically people will define that as needing some kind of connection or, you know, getting to know somebody before they are interested in a sexual relationship. Um, And so I've always kind of been that person. Uh, When I first got into the scene, I dipped a baby toe, kind of the tip of my baby toe into the swinger scene and quickly was like, nope, that's Mm. not me because I didn't know those people. And so it was very uncomfortable to go into sexual situations when I didn't know them, when it was strangers. I don't judge it. If you enjoy that, have a blast. Uh, But (laughs) for me, I was like, okay, that's not for me, but I wasn't sure why. And so finally coming to the demisexual identifier, I was like, okay, that makes more sense. Uh, I can look at somebody and be like, they're attractive, but I'm not interested in like getting with them until I get to know them and their personality and who they are definitely can change kind of how attractive they are to me. How that's shifted a little bit is I, as I don't know, behind the times as I, this may sound realizing that demisexual is actually on the asexual spectrum. Mm. And so you can be demisexual, but also be in a range within that sexuality. And I realized that I'm closer to the asexual or gray asexual, I should say, end of the demisexual spectrum. So I need to have some kind of connection and get to know somebody. But even once I do, it's going to be tough for me to have interest in in sexual stuff. Uh, It's it's a rare occurrence to actually want to, uh, you know, go into a sexual relationship with somebody even once I get to know them. 
interesting. So. Okay, so <laughs> question about that. So if um, it may or may not happen, really, that like you know you have like this you know strong sexual relationship with another person, but like throughout your your day, like on your own, are you, do you still find yourself in sexual moods that you don't necessarily want to express with someone else and you just kind of take care of that on your own? Or do you just not feel that desire throughout like your daily walk? I mean, I guess I, I'm always horny like every five seconds. So like. Right. You'd, you'd be on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's just not, I mean, people would look at that typically and say, okay, you have a low sex drive right? Like mm-hmm. that would be, it just doesn't come up for me. Um, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> but, but what I find is that spontaneous arousal, if you will, and this is where the Sadie sexual comes in, usually happens when I am in play. So I'm being sadistic, to, you know, with my partner and she is somebody that I am sexual with. We have a, a romantic, sexual, we live together relationship. And so typically that's when, you know, for another person, they might just be going throughout their day and being like, oh, hello, downstairs, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when that happens for me, it's usually when when I'm hitting her with stuff and doing mean things that she enjoys. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. It's very, very connected to my sadism. Okay. When did you figure out that you were a sadist or kinky? Oh, Lord. Uh, I was a later in life on this discovery. Like I said, I had been with, I did the shoulds first in my life, right? Mm. So you should go to college. You should get married. You should have 2.5 children. You should buy a house, right? All of that. The escalator, if you will. Yeah. So I did the shoulds. For a long time until I was in my early 30s. So, um, I mean, I knew I was bisexual and all that stuff, but the kink stuff, there were hints, right? Earlier, uh, you know, I'd be sitting next to my husband at the time watching a movie and there'd be, you know, a non consent scene. And I'd be like, oh, okay, that's, <laughs> that's a thing that I don't think I'm supposed to get turned on by. Um, and I'd kind of look at him like, yeah, he doesn't seem affected. Okay. Um, <laughs> there might be a thing there. Right. So it wasn't though, until I got divorced and started dating and happened to find somebody on one of those dating apps, which I can't stand, but, uh, <laughs> but was using, um, which I hadn't dated I hadn't been on the dating scene since like high school. So as an adult, I had never been in the dating scene. So I just hopped on these things. I think it was like, can I say names of stuff? And it was like, I think of so. fish. Like oh, one of those. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> okay. See one of those. And I ended up casually dating, I guess this one person who was not in the scene, but was kinky. And, mm. you know, so we were dating and, Keep in mind, when I first came in the scene, I was an S-type. So I was a bottom and S-type. So I hadn't quite discovered the scene. I was kind of figuring things out online a little bit, doing some research there. But that was kind of the first. I remember he took out a ping pong paddle. Uh, so <laughs> and I was How like, cute. Huh. Um, so there was some like light bondage and light impact, things like that, that got the wheels turning. Okay. And then I ended up dating... So there was this super sweet and very, very vanilla guy 
that I went on a couple of dates with and we would talk and he's like, you know, I don't think I'm really into the things that you're into, but my ex-girlfriend is, and she like goes to these like dinners or something. He had no idea. He was referring to munches, but didn't know it. And so he connected my, me and her uh, via Facebook. And I reached out to her and she said, you should join FetLife. So at that point, I got onto FetLife and pretty much just started going to as many classes and munches as I could, knowing absolutely nothing um, and just kind of jumped in. So You took the red pill. I did. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I love that. Wow. How cool. I was just thinking as you were saying that, like, that's got to be every, like, straight guy's fantasy is that, like, well, my ex is kinky and I'll hook you up with her. <laughs> like, Oh, he was he was so vanilla. He wasn't even going there. He was oh, just really? like, yeah, he was just like, here, you know, you might be able to get some connections to what you're looking for kind of a thing. Right. Like, okay. he wasn't even go- like, he was such like a totally vanilla sweetheart. Um, yeah, he wasn't even. <laughs> I have it in my, my brain, like the... Um... Like a math teacher or, or like, <laughs> you know, some super nice, sweet guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it was, I, I think his job was an in insurance. So there okay, you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we started as a sub and then a switch and now we're a dom. So what was that journey like for you? Very gradual. Um, you know, that's taken place over, you know, the, the 12 or so years. And when I came in, it wasn't. So for some people, when they came into the scene, uh, especially before I came into the scene, uh, it was it was kind of the expectation of you, even if you know you are wanting to be a dominant, you start uh, as a bottom and you kind of earn your way to dominance, right? I was just like, I'm 100% S-type, right? Now, I've always, I've always had a, a dominant personality, um, obviously, like, I essentially, I don't know if you could say like, I have like three businesses equivalent. I don't know. So I'm very like self-motivated and all of that. But yeah, no, I a hundred percent was like, I'm an S type. I like getting hit with stuff and doing the service things and all of that. And it was actually, so I didn't mention this because it was, I don't know, 10 years ago. But after being in the scene for about two years, I was actually a pro for about a year and a half. So I was a pro sub. And yeah, let's just add more. Um, (laughs) And then I became after I don't know how long, how many months uh, I became a pro switch. And so uh, because one thing that I did right when I first came in was I took classes and even though I identified as a bottom or S type, I always paid attention and learned things from the top side, right? Which is something I teach in my classes now. So I was able to become a switch rather quickly because I already had a lot of topping skills. And so first it was for, for professional reasons. I was like, okay, I'll do this because it's you get more clients when you're a switch. Okay. <laughs> right? More opportunity. Right. So I started that way. And then I was like, huh, maybe this would be fun with people I know, like just hitting my friends for fun and for free. Uh, And so I started to enjoy that. But at the time I was like, okay, this is fun to like top my friends, but I'm not interested in 
you know, responsibility beyond that. Like I, mm. I don't want, I'm not interested in being someone's dominant or being responsible for an S type. So I was, I was sort of a S leaning switch who would talk occasionally. Uh, and then it just kind of was like this gradual shift in, in the top side growing as the bottom side started to kind of fade a bit uh, until it got to the point, you know, about five years ago or so that I was like, this, this feels right for me now Hmm. um, as a dominant. And so, yeah, it's, it wasn't like one day I woke up and went, oh, I'm, I'm suddenly a switch. I'm suddenly a dom. (laughs) It was a very kind of gradual thing. Uh, you know, and it's, it's funny to think about my early years as an S type. I remember going to Spanko parties and I would try to talk. And I remember sitting there with a friend of mine who was a heavy masochist. I knew that, you know, I was, I had a wooden spoon. I knew I wasn't going to hurt her, but I was like giggling the whole time. Like, I can't do this. Like, this is so silly. (laughs) Like I was, it was pathetic. Right. Uh, and now I'm like, yes, (laughs) come here. Right. So, um, yeah, it just, that was my journey and, uh, I'm incredibly grateful that that was my journey because as a dominant, I feel like I have the experiential knowledge of an S type that I can bring to my dynamic. So, mm-hmm. yeah. absolutely. Just off of, off of observation, um, cause I, I currently right now identify as a switch and I would say in the beginning, I think I was more of a just a strict bottom when it comes to things for me what changed was that somebody took me to a headspace where they were submitting and it wasn't a joke anymore like it wasn't like oh like I don't know I I I had this vision of myself I guess before like really coming into leather and kink and all that it's like oh like little gay Brandon like you know, strolling down the street. Like, I don't know. I just never saw myself as that person until somebody saw me that way. And it took my Mm. headspace into that moment. Do you remember like a specific scene or anything like that where like it stopped becoming like the joke and actually like you invested yourself into that? Oh man. Um, I'm going deep here. Well, no, I just, (laughs) I should have started the interview with saying my memory is crappy. Um, so I, I always say like, I have Dory brain, like from finding Nemo. Um, (laughs) my, my memory is really, it's shit. Um, so I'm trying to remember, I mean, I, as a switch or as a dominant, I guess as a dominant, like uh, just the, I guess the first time that you, like spank somebody and it wasn't like that silly feeling anymore. Like, I mean, that first started as a switch, right? Because I would have scenes Mm. that I was seriously topping. I was, you know, either as a pro or just with my friends or whatever. Um, But they would be, you know, more serious scenes. But I think as a dominant, um, you know, my, my current partner is my second submissive Mm-hmm. Although my first 24 seven submissive, um, but oh, yeah. I had a sub. Um, so when I met my first sub, I was also a sub to a male dominant at the time. <laughs> so, and Polly, right. Okay. So I was like ultimate switch. Um, so <laughs> I was a submissive to a dominant 
Uh, and then I met this uh, female submissive who also had another dominant. It was all a, a lovely poly situation. And it was the first time somebody had an interest in me, well, that I know of, that had an interest in me as as a dominant. Mm. Um, I had just, at that point, I had topped a bunch, but I had just kind of started getting into the mindset of maybe I would like a submissive. Maybe I would like to include power exchange outside of scenes. And I happened to meet her right around that time. Mm. And so probably her interest and when that relationship started and just seeing her submission, you know, service, things like that, it was kind of like, okay, I like this. I like this dynamic. I like how this feels. So, but that was kind of more of a part-time dynamic and it was not long distance, but enough because in LA, like from South Orange County to LA, that's might as well be like another state. Well, from downtown um, LA to Burbank <laughs> is like another state, like right? two hours of driving. <laughs> yeah. So um, it ended up, you know, it was, it was very part-time and, and it sort of dissolved due to a lot of the distance and scheduling. Obviously I'm very busy, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, uh, you know, her schedule as well. So still friends with her and, and her master and all the people. But that was really kind of what allowed me to experience it for the first time, you mm-hmm. know, that power exchange outside of play as a dominant. Uh, and I realized, okay, like, I think this is where I'm at. So by the time I met my current submissive, uh, I, I was very comfortable in that. And um, yeah, just kind of took off from there. So. so when it comes to submission and dominance, I feel like there's like many different ways to express that. Like, like, how do you express your dominance over someone in a scene? Oh, just in play? Yeah. Or I guess in lifestyle too. Like we, so you're talking to somebody who like, we have a 24 seven dynamic and we have, if you, <laughs> so we have our contract, our, our, our dynamic contract, and there's probably almost 50 protocols uh, in wow. there. So we're very protocol based. We're trying to kind of become more and more. That's why like we started the high protocol revival project. That was something that we're trying to bring back um, because we really love it. So, you know, every day there are multiple times a day that we're either doing protocols or rituals that reinforce the dynamic. So, you know, and there's so many answers to this question. Uh, I'm not sure where to start, but that's definitely a piece of it that maintains that headspace. But I guess for me, my being a dominant is sort of just who I am, right? Mm-hmm. It's not something that it it plays out in a scene, obviously, in a physical way, but it is something that I always carry. It's just me, right? Right. And so, you know, it's reinforced with the protocols and rituals. You know, my submissive and I have been together now for just about four years and we're still working on stuff. You know, we're still, you know, developing our dynamic and working on deepening the power exchange. But yeah, it's just kind of who I am, I guess. So it's always there. Is there ever a moment where like the your submissive pulls back on a protocol or an agreement that you've already made and said, you know what, I realize that that that's not going to work after all. Yeah. So we have 
approximately monthly relationship check-in that we do. And we use radar, which actually comes from multi-amory, if you're familiar with them. Um, So it's meant for polyamorous people, but I actually teach it and use it with clients who are monogamous as well, because it's really just a relationship check-in and you just make a few tweaks and you're good. So it's a very structured way to sit down and check in with your partner. So we do that. And that's a place where we're, even though we have a lot of protocols and rituals, we also live together 24 seven, you know, 50% of the time there are teenagers around. So we also have very much what would look to most people like a typical relationship, right? Mm -hmm. When we're around vanilla people or the kids, our protocols change. They don't leave, but they change so that they're not as obvious to other people. Right. So I just forgot your question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just enthralled in the conversation. Uh, (laughs) Oh, oh man. It just went poof. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just, it's interesting uh, because you're keeping that dynamic and navigating the space. Yeah. Speaking freely. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so we speak freely a lot. Um, we don't have a lot of verbal protocols outside of our rituals, but definitely when we're having our check-ins, it's basically human to human, unless I need to bring in one of our protocols. So we, Mm. we do our check-ins from a place of speaking freely, but if something gets emotional or heated or anything like that, then we can call upon protocols to monitor that, um, but there's been, you know, protocols that she's like, I don't know if this works. And so we'll talk about it and figure it out, try to figure out why it's not working. And if it's something that there's just resistance for, or if it's really reasonable that it's not working. And we have other protocols that didn't work, just didn't work. And we're like, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. Um, and we've had protocols that we've changed several Mm. times before we find something that that works, you know, to to meet that goal, whatever it is. So I have to say this monthly check in thing sounds very healthy, even outside of a kink dynamic. I'm going to start doing a check in with my partner (laughs) every month. Because it's like, that sounds like something that we should be doing, you know, anyways. Yeah, that's why I use it with my vanilla clients, or, you know, anybody like it's, it's really something that I think is is good to do. It stays on top of issues. It doesn't let things get out of hand. It doesn't push things under the rug. Um, you know, cause a lot of times if there's an issue, people are like, well, I'm going to wait for the right time to bring this up. And I will mm. tell you right now, there's no, <laughs> I mean, just the, I feel like I'm in a therapy <laughs> session now, but the, the... <laughs> No, sorry. <laughs> but the the uh, the other day, my partner uh, and we we almost never argue. But the other day, uh, he brought up something that happened like last year that I had no idea it was even a problem. I was like, where did that come from? Whoa! Like, <laughs> and we had to iron out then. I was like, okay, how funny. So that monthly chicken sounds like a time, like a great time to like iron those things out. You know? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be monthly. Some people, when they're having a rough spot, might do it weekly. Other people might do it every few months, every six months. Uh, You know, it's really just what you feel like you need. But Mm -hmm. yeah, we could have like a whole separate conversation about (laughs) radar and (laughs) check-ins. All right. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I teach a two-hour class on it. So yeah, don't get me started. Okay. (laughs) Well, I'll have to put a link to your classes and stuff. (laughs) 
interesting. Interesting. Okay, so <laughs> protocol. Um, when we spoke on the phone earlier before we got into this session together, I remember you said we want to bring back protocol, like bring back protocol. And it sounds like a whole like campaign thing. Uh, what what do you mean exactly like bring back protocol and what what protocols specifically are like? What are some examples? OK, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm telling you, I could probably like fill 10 podcasts uh, with different things. But um, so a protocol essentially is just like a rule or a ritual or something that has been agreed upon by, let's say I'll go with just two people, both parties that is, you know, understood by both parties and adhered to uh, and agreed upon. So protocol, like examples of protocols, my goodness, uh, positions, right? So let's say you see uh, an S type kneeling in front of their D type. Hmm. that I would put that under like a behavioral protocol, right? It's a position. They're honorifics, right? If you use certain honorifics with, uh, let's say your D-type, you call them sir or mistress or whatever. Those would be verbal protocols. And these are my categories. Like I just, okay. I, I tend to categorize into behavioral, verbal, and written. Okay. So like a written protocol might be what people will call slashy speak where you'll do like an uppercase for any pronoun, it'll be an uppercase and a lowercase letter. So we, uh, if you're referring to a power exchange couple would be capital W slash lowercase W E, even if it's in the middle of a sentence. So autocorrect is a bitch if you're trying. (laughs) (laughs) Or like the Uh, all capitals, sir, or. Yeah. Like if you would always capitalize the, the D type and you would lowercase even the name of the S type. So so if you notice, like on my S-Types profile, um, wherever she has her name, it's always lowercase, right? So that would be a written protocol. So there's a million. There's a so million protocols. Proto- protocol revival is something that you've started. And is it because you see that like these types of things are starting to like disappear from the scene? Or is it just like, what? what is the... So first, it's the high protocol revival. Um, So while you might see still a lot of protocols, a lot of the high protocols that used to be, I've seen kind of fade over time. And when I met my submissive, I would talk to her about protocols because I used to love them. And, you know, she was new when we met four years ago. And so she was like, that sounds really cool. I never see this anymore. What's going on? And I said, Mm. yeah, it's kind of faded out over the past decade. You don't see it as much unless you're in, for example, some like leather spaces, you might see some of that or, you know, whatnot, um, you know, mass meetings and things, or you might see it for like a couple, they might practice high protocol. So you might see that at a party But a lot of it, too, was the events, you know, people are doing public play parties and even the ones who wanted the party to be high protocol and they would call it high protocol. You know, when you're open to the public, there's a lot you have to compromise on. Right. Mm -hmm. With the high protocol. And so if you look at kind of old school high protocol parties, there was a lot of expectations that a lot of people now would be like, I'm not doing that. Right. Uh, Somebody might start a party and say, okay, part of our protocol is that if you're an S type coming into this party, you have to wear some kind of collar, right? As an example. 
And a lot of people are, have might have pushback. And so if you want a successful, well-attended, you know, public party, you start to make some adjustments, you know, to appease the majority. Um, what we're trying to do with this project is teach people, first of all, about high protocol, uh, not only for their personal dynamics, but also for events, because eventually we want to start hosting high protocol events that will be based on membership so that we don't need to adjust our stuff. It will be very clear. We're actually creating a high protocol revival project manual. Mm -hmm. So it'll be something that everybody knows by showing up, they're consenting. Um, and eventually uh, we would like to have different chapters. You know, we have an online group where we have people from different states, different countries that are interested in this. So we'd like to expand it out to have various chapters, you know, the Chicago chapter, the HPR Chicago chapter or whatever, where you kind of end up with these standardized expectations. Because before, you know, you could maybe have the LA scene might have some high protocol standards. But if you went to New York or if you went to Canada or whatever, they would have high protocol, but it might look different, yeah. right? So there wasn't anything sort of standardized, but now we have the internet. So you're, you're going to be like the NPR version of high protocol and it'll be chapters all over the country. We're going to take over the world. Yes. Well, uh, I, I just have to say like the, the thought of like as a sub, the thought of going into an event like this where I am consenting to adhere to certain protocols when I walk into the door actually gets me a little bit hard. Like I'm actually getting hard right now thinking about that. <laughs> like, oh God, keep your camera up. No, okay. <laughs> because I don't know, yeah. like it's like you're submitting yourself to a set of rules and I don't know, that's just hot to me. Like, yeah. And there's, you know, there's different things. Like, do you identify as uh male? Yes. It's male gay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you would be called boy. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's, Unless, you know, somebody wanted to add your name to uh, and then it might be boy Brandon. Mm -hmm. um, but all of the S types, there's certain things. And for a lot of people, they're like, oh, OK, like yeah. that sounds really cool. And for some people, they're like, fuck that. Like, I <laughs> I don't want to hear to all that stuff. You're not going to call me girl, um, you know, and that's fine. It's not for everybody. But we really want to make a community of people who are interested in that mm -hmm. and kind of bring that back. So, so yeah. And then we'll take over the world. It'll be a big spider web <laughs> connection. And, you know, you show up with your HPR pin in London and you go to their event and it looks the same as it does here in LA. So that's kind of our dream. So this might be totally irrelevant, but maybe it's a little bit relevant in the connection. I, okay. So my thought, my, I guess my question to you is on, do you think those sort of things have been disappearing because we've been kind of coming into a generation that is like more quote unquote woke and mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then my second thought is based off of my observation, just in the short time that I've been in the leather community, I've already seen it more and more difficult to have sacred spaces for a specific audience or a specific group of people without getting any pushback, even though I think like most of us can agree, like sacred spaces are important. I find it 
interesting when I see sacred spaces being opened up like this is going to be this event for this type of crowd. And then there's pushback from, you know, other people in the community. I don't know. Is Do you see that like being a, an effect on on like what you're doing right now with the high protocol revival? Yeah. So <clears throat> keep in mind, we're doing things a little bit different than they've been in the past for a reason. So in the past, a lot of high protocol groups were very heteronormative and or very specific to a certain identifier. So for example, you might see a high protocol event that is male identified D types with female identified S types or female identified D types with male identified S types. We're mm-hmm. seeing a little bit more public high protocol parties that are either the D type has to be one or the other, but the S type can be any, right? So that's great. Mm. We want this high protocol revival to be about the high protocol. And so it's being led by myself and my and my submissive, who obviously two women, queer, bisexual, you know, all the, the different orientations, and Mistress Cyan, who, you know, is a trans woman. And so our whole thing is like, we want this to not be, you know, we don't want to exclude anyone based on orientation, gender, any of that. So that piece is a little bit different from how it used to be, kind of some of the more old school high protocol stuff. Um, But yeah, I think, and this was something that, so Eden, um, my submissive, is a millennial. Um, I'm Gen X, not a boomer, as I have to correct my children. Um, (laughs) She's a millennial. My kids are Gen Z. There's three freaking generations in my house. Um, But she she's a great insight into her generation because, you know, we can talk about this and she's like, yeah, you know, there's so much focus on everything needs to include everybody. Right. And I get that. I absolutely get that. Um, I also don't see anything wrong with if you want to have your own thing that is super specific, you do that. And it might be smaller, but go for it. Right. Yeah. So with the high protocol, it's kind of a combination. We're very inclusive in terms of, you know, orientation and identifiers, but it is very focused on high protocol. So if high protocol is not for someone, that's okay. Uh, We might have smaller events and we're more interested in smaller events that adhere to high protocol than huge events that we have to kind of water down the protocol a bit. I was just going to say that that would kind of dilute the experience. And it's not that you're excluding anybody. It's just that this is what we're doing. If you don't want to wear a collar as a sub and that's what we're doing tonight, then you don't have to be a part of it kind of thing. Like there's other events that we have. Yeah, Yeah, we've made some some adjustments of either collar or cuffs. Right. So we've made some options for people. so that it's it's not super duper strict, but there's still a dress code there, right? So yeah, yeah. so it's kind of a, a combination. I just of like things. I love that so much. It's like, you know, if you're a boy and you're a sub, you have to come in with a cock cage, like, and we're holding on to the key until you leave. Like, <laughs> oh man, that might be a a theme of one of the parties. <laughs> I don't know. Um... <laughs> Send me a leak. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. But you do have to wear clean underwear and uh, or or, you know, lingerie or whatnot. So um, although, you know, people don't have to walk. The S type doesn't have to walk into the party, obviously, 
like off the street like uh, well, of course yeah right <laughs> so obviously street legal but everybody comes into the parties dressed well right mm-hmm. so think like cocktail attire and then okay. after the social hour is sort of the transition to the event itself or the high protocol piece at which point the s types would disrobe and be in accordance with the dress for the rest of the evening until they have to walk to their car <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and you're giving me uh some great ideas for some events i could have at the bullet too <laughs> as <Mr. Hey>. bullet. <laughs> awesome i might have to come to one of these events just to like really see what you know this is what what you're doing and to kind of get that experience because it sounds super super interesting to me i'm i've always said um like I swear I was like a gay man in the 70s in another life because <laughs> I I'll experience or see or have reminiscent experiences of things of the past. Like I'll see an article of like, you know, Mr. IML 19 whatever, or I'll read a, a story from like the Leatherman's Handbook of these experiences that happened like back in the 70s and stuff like that. And I have like this feeling of nostalgia. And I don't know if that's just me longing to have certain experiences that I feel some of them can't even, re- they, they won't be able to happen today because of where we are as a society. We've learned and grown in so many different ways that like some of those scenarios will never happen again. And it's just interesting. Like, I feel like the high protocol is probably one of those things that like if nobody preserves it, it could die out. Exactly. And that's exactly why we wanted to create a manual and, you know, create a group where people are reviving those things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting because when we started the project during COVID, <laughs> about a year ago, we started it online. Um, there's three meetings a month. So one is online so that we can reach anybody anywhere. <clears throat> one of the and the other two are in person at Sanctuary LAX. So we have one in-person class where we teach about something uh, and then the in-person immersive, which is kind of like a social where we get to practice what was taught the month before in the class mm. to eventually lead to actual events. So <clears throat> we don't want anybody feeling like they, you know, can't jump in at any time or feel lost or like they're not allowed to like, you know, practice. So we want it to be comfortable for people, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things that in the very beginning too, we were doing so much research so much reading. Well, Eden did most of it uh, <laughs> on, you know, especially things like leather history and any other kind of kink history. And and one thing we realized is that there's not a lot preserved, mm-hmm. and there's so much. There's probably more in terms of leather history, but there's there's so much that we want to continue and not only bring back but have sort of for for next generation to pull forward so yeah it's it's definitely a piece of it is not wanting to lose yeah all of that i mean that's a part of why i started the show in the first place because i've always been daddy's boy kind of thing and i would talk to like the older men at the bar and they would have these stories from you know when they were in their 20s and i'm like I, if, if nobody records this, these yep. stories are going to be lost forever, yeah. you know? So I, I totally hear you on that. I did want to ask you a little bit about, well, okay. First of all, I have to say we met at kinky. Well, I met you at kinky karaoke. <laughs> you didn't meet me, but I saw you up there on stage and uh, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't remember why, but I was just like, 
I saw you and I was like, I'm going to talk with her. And here we are now today. Talk. Can- I'll tell you, I can talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just thinking, so like the, the high protocol events are not really like gender or identity exclusive, which is cool. And I've been to a few sanctuary events. I've even helped host one or two with Queen Anna, who's mm-hmm. Miss Sanctuary Leather 2020. And it's interesting because I don't consider myself to be very much an introvert at all. If anything, I'm like an exhibitionist. I'm an extrovert. Um, and I have no problem like going up to people at like the Bullet or, or the Eagle and like just like, I don't know, flirting and getting my game on and like just meeting new people <laughs> or whatever. And I realized that going into like kinky karaoke and, and some of like the play parties and stuff like that, that I don't know how to navigate a space where there are, and maybe this is just me, I can only speak for myself, but I'm, I don't know how to navigate a space where there are so many different sexual orientations and identifiers all around, because I, at least I, I guess in a gay bar, there's that too, but I would say like, it, you can pretty much safely go up to somebody and, and see if they're they're gay or not and if they're vibing that with you and then we have our own kind of i would say unspoken culture of communication and consent not to say that none of it's verbal but like there's just like a a different dance i guess i i would say that i've figured out over the years and because being in like you know a pansexual situation is kind of new to me i realized that i'll see a hot guy if I saw him at the bullet bar, I would have no problem going up to be and like, hey, oh, wow, I love your jock, like blah, blah, blah. And I remember being at one of the play parties and I was like, oh, my God, that guy is so hot. And I went up to him and I was like, uh, I felt like a kid in high school, like, you know, and like, oh. hi, uh, I uh, Brandon, because I was like, I don't know if you're straight or bi or, or gay or like if you're here as a dom or a son, like there's so many different things and I don't want to overstep my boundaries. So I find myself like in this kind of interesting place. And as someone who identifies as, you know, bi and demi and all the things that you identify with, how does one go about navigating that space? So I think you nailed it when you use the word safely. So I think it is about safety, right? So if you're in an environment where chances are that guy at the end of the bar is at least interested in other men, for example, mm-hmm. then there's a safety factor there, right? There's, yeah. <laughs> there's the numbers game of, okay, I'm less likely, it's not impossible, but I'm less likely to get the, you know, to offend someone, which hopefully, I mean, I, I, I really, I hate the idea of somebody getting offended from somebody, you know, hitting on them just because they don't match up in terms of orientation. Like that to right. me is, is so like out of date, like, stop it. Um, Oh, we can have a whole talk. Okay. (laughs) I know. I know. So, um, (laughs) just add that to the list. That'll be podcast number 10. No, um, no. So I think it is a matter of safety. I think it feels safer in that environment for somebody. If I were at, you know, a lesbian bar, a bar, a gay bar, if I'm at the Abbey, for example, or something like that, approaching another woman, might is probably going to be less scary right mm-hmm. although with straight women i find i'm totally going to make some stereotypes here don't chop my head off uh <laughs> but i think straight women are less likely to get offended than straight men 
when somebody of the same gender or sexual or, or same sex or, or gender approaches them. Um, so there is a little bit of that, but, <clears throat> uh, and hopefully I don't go up to a gay guy thinking, Oh, you're hot. And they're like, Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, well, which happens every day. I go up to gay guys and like, <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> you know, so, clack the fan. And <laughs> so part of it, you know, because I, you know, I, I, I get this. Um, for me, like, for example, I'll give you an example of something that I'm trying to do with Club Awakening, which is one of the parties that I run for newbies. And I've had a system in place since I started that party about, I don't know, five or six years ago, where I have a sticker system, but it's very simple about top and bottom and consent to play. Mm. So, for example, if you're there and you're interested in being open to negotiating for play it doesn't mean you're guaranteed to play with somebody but if you're open to negotiation and approachable then you would put on a purple sticker it's just like a little circle uh if you are a top or d type and a yellow sticker if you are a bottom or s type so it's a little bit of an indicator of at least you know who's available to approach and not somebody who's like in a relationship etc uh or not poly and, and all that um right so now I'm trying to actually, and I actually, I, I, I'm waiting for, for them to arrive in the mail um, because it was suggested to me to figure out a, a little bit more of a complex system, but still simple uh, in terms of indicators for, uh, for orientation and such. So what it would look like is having more of like a name tag sticker where you can write your name and your pronouns, right? And depending on which color name tag sticker you choose means that there's going to be three. So it means that you're either interested in uh, female presenting or identified players, male presenting or identified players, or any, right? Mm -hmm. And so like if you were to walk into, and then you still add the purple and, and the yellow for top and bottom. Um, so if you were to walk into Club Awakening and you're like, I want to play, um, you're looking at the men who are wearing stickers that are either, I forgot what colors I got, who are either gold, which means they're open to anybody, or blue, I think I went super standard, uh, who are open to playing with men, and you would know that they're open to that, right? Um, and let's say you want to find a top, so you would look for one of those with a purple sticker next to it. So I don't know so if you've thought of this, Jen, but... <laughs> oh God. Uh, it's it's interesting because uh like us leather folk have done this from the beginning right i don't know if you are familiar with the hanky system of Lagging? like yes. yeah the top mm -hmm. and the bottom right or left pocket and different colors for different fetishes mind you we i don't think we had cuz they were like strictly men's gay spaces we didn't have to navigate all of the but essentially what you're doing is you're flagging yeah yeah. And I want it to feel safer. Right. Mm -hmm. and especially because it's a party for newbies. Right. Yeah. So they might not know other people. You know, all of this is new to them. And so I I try, you know, in in oh gosh, since for the last eight years, I guess, is when I started teaching and hosting parties and all of that. And I've been sort of the advocate for the newbie um yeah. you know a lot of times when people are new and they meet somebody they're like go talk to jen you know go send her a message 
And so I try to constantly improve what I'm doing. And this is a way for me to create in, in a situation that, like you said, is very much a mixed bag Mm -hmm. so that anybody can walk in and not feel as intimidated about approaching somebody, at least having some, some of those basics acknowledged first. Right. And I think, you know, this is something in, in the vanilla world too. I see all the time other, you know, bisexual women who are always like, you know, I can go and flirt with men, but when it comes to women, I am a shy shell, you know, they're Mm -hmm. just like, I don't know what to do. And so sometimes there might be certain types of people, depending on your orientation, that it's just, you're more shy around or it's more difficult to talk to them. So I'm hoping this will be a way and if it works, then I can take it to my karaoke party too. I'm going to test it out on the newbies um, and see how that goes. But I'm hoping it helps people feel safer and better able to kind of navigate all of that. Um, it's really, and you might, Jen, you might be changing the world with this because um, <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> really, oh, like God. right now, I mean, okay, so like, uh, we we had a, a night at the Bullet called uh, I think it was just Hanky Night or something like that, and it was just kind of like like I I flag some people don't flag and that's a whole other discussion. But I flag because I I kind of pay homage to the past, and that's just a part of our culture. And like we've done it for you know a gajillion years or whatever. Does it negate verbal consent? No, but right. it, it's a part of who we are now stepping into that pansexual space like right now you have like name tags or whatever but in the future if this if this system tends to work out you can standardize it and make them like cute wrist cuffs with different striped bands and stuff like that uh, or or some kind of other flagging system where it becomes an accessory of your leather or garb and if you do take off on like high protocol for example on a national level those standardized things, I'm sure, may be adopted into other pansexual spaces, and that you you could change the world with a global flagging system for the pansexual space. Well, now I'm hard. I don't know, like <laughs> I <laughs> like you could have you could be changing the world with this idea because it it does it it, it takes it makes it a safer space. I think I don't know. Maybe th- that's what I'm hoping. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping. And, you know, I try out new things and I, and I wait for, you know, I ask for feedback and I try to gauge, is this really helpful? Should I change it? You know? And mm-hmm. so, um, I didn't think about it as, as that big, but, uh, you know, that's, I, I love it that you're taking it that way. Um, and I mean, I, I'm just imagining going in with a wrist cuff that's like purple and whatever, and then says he, yeah. him on in the middle or something. And it's like this leather wristband that I just wear with me to my all, you know, the parties. And like, if that gets adopted nationally with your organization, I'm sure other organizations in that area will, if, if they want to adopt that, and it could become a whole thing. I mean, that's how flagging basically took off, you know. Mm-hmm. And especially with the high protocol um, project, you know, that's something where like we're, we're, I mean, it's still a baby, right? It's still in in infancy. Um, But as we grow, you know, we, we've designed, well, sort of, I'm not an artist. I kind of quickly sketched a logo. Um, So we're hoping to have like pins to denote that you're a member of that project, but that could absolutely be something where, you know, we have some kind of cuff that 
you know, depending on which wrist you wear it on indicates something and then the colors or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, It'll just have to be once, you know, we have money. uh, (laughs) I mean, you could have like member pins to show like, oh, this is where I'm from, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, every bar has like their own pin that you put on your leather vest or whatever. Yeah, HPR Los Angeles, HPR (laughs) London, HPR, you know. Yeah. No, that's, now I'm all excited again. I know. Uh, see, we're, <laughs> we're getting each other hard. Staying kinky. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, well, I know we've been talking for a while now, and I do want to thank you again for just your transparency and your time. But I do want to ask you about your, you have so many things going on now, your <laughs> YouTube channel. What's going on with that? So um, when the the COVID's, happened uh mm-hmm. and everything was shut down uh my so as you can tell i'm the type of person who stays busy and uh we are both people who are very motivated and don't do well kind of just not doing anything um <laughs> so when covid hit we were like of course we should start a youtube channel because why not um <laughs> I love and that so, you did that instead of an OnlyFans like all my other friends. Like, we all have OnlyFans <laughs> now. <laughs> well, and it was something that we'd always kind of talked about, but we were like, we don't have time for that, right? Yeah. Um, and so during COVID, we're like, all right, let's start this. And now, of course, you know, we're getting back to stuff. And so now it's having to fold that into all the other things as well. <sighs> we didn't think that far ahead. But it's become one of the favorite things that we do. And it was something that we wanted to start, which we're, we're this month marks uh, a year of us being on YouTube. And we, we started off, we really wanted it to just be another place that people could access and get information that, you know, we deem reliable because <laughs> the internet is full of BS, of course, as we know. <laughs> and so from people who are actually in the lifestyle. And so we have, you know, several playlists. We started off with a couple of playlists that we we have since dropped. Uh, one of those was Bamboozled, where um, my submissive is not a kitchen witch. That's my job. So okay. she would try to attempt to make a fancy drink. And I was off camera and could not help her. And it would drive me insane. So it just became kind of this funny thing and and watching her fumble through it. Um, and then Drunk Toy History. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Drunk History, okay, the on. show. Just wait, wait a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining that like every time she makes a mistake, you're just like, no, try it again. <laughs> Smackers. No, it was it was actually torture for me because the rule was I couldn't help her. So oh. I was dying off camera. I was dying and it was just like, That's oh hilarious. my god. Yeah. So it was her way of getting back at me. Um, <laughs> um yeah, so drunk toy history was another one that we've since dropped. Um and most of the reason is because one, it wasn't these are two things that weren't quite as popular. Uh, but also they were tough to film. They, they're different okay. setup. And so Eden would actually get drunk. And again, I was off camera for this. Uh, and I would just hand her an implement or a toy of some kind, something kink related. Okay. And she would just bullshit her way yeah, drunk <laughs> through a history of that toy. I need to see this. <laughs> yeah. 
they're still up. Yeah, we stopped doing them, but they're still up. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I handed her, I have a, a really nice, like, purple leather full hood, right? I handed her that. It became a trick-or-treat bag. Like, it became, it was, like, just ridiculous. Um, so, those were a couple of playlists that kind of faded out. But now we focus on uh, the four playlists, which are Vanilla with a Twist. So it's videos for people who are newer or interested in kink to get some basic information. Uh, Behind the Scenes, which is more in-depth conversations about our dynamic. Um, And then uh, A Kink Shrink, which is just me on camera talking about kink-related things from a therapist perspective. And K-Talks, which is... (laughs) So this is the only place where, uh, and she recently changed her name to Eden. She went by Tay before. So that's why it's K is for Kinky JT. It's K is for Kinky with Jen and Tay. Okay. That was her given name. So she still uses that on YouTube. Um, And so Tay Talks is basically whatever she wants to talk about. Um, (laughs) You know, oftentimes, most of the time it relates back to kink somehow, but oftentimes it's, kind of just her own introspection and, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's been one of those things that when we, you know, we have to set aside, you know, a couple of days a month to just film a bunch of videos. Cause mm-hmm. obviously we can't do that when the kids are here. Um, we can't do that when, you know, she has work or I have clients and stuff. So we have to kind of set aside time to get the filming done and then she does all the editing uh i bow down to her for that um we we both kind of learned as we go with all of this that's tough work um, editing and takes twice as yeah. long to, oh yeah to edit than film it's crazy yeah so um so yeah but it's been really fun because we find that we really enjoy filming we connect mm. uh when we're filming these videos and um so it's almost become not like having a scene but it's it's that it's a connecting piece uh, yeah. as part of our life. And um, so now like we've got a Patreon for it and I've connected a discord community to the Patreon, like all these things that I had no clue, like, again, learn as you go. Um, so yeah. yeah, so it's really fun. Wow. That is so awesome. And make sure to send me a, a little like a uh, list of links that we can connect with you on, on the Patreon and the, and the YouTube channel. And if you don't mind, I'll feature, um, maybe a few links of your YouTube playlist onto my Patreon as well. Um, Because this sounds really fun. (laughs) Some of these things. I could just imagine like holding a huge like nine inch dildo and being like the history of this. (laughs) I don't know if we, I'm trying to think of the thing. We've done a vlogger. We did the hood. I'm trying to remember some other stuff. I can't even remember right now. Again, Dory brain, but um, I don't think it, I don't think it, sex toy has been on there um but but yeah it was mostly like kink related items um and uh just she's a really good bullshitter so i love that (laughs) yeah oh my gosh uh well before we go is there anything we haven't spoken about or something that we should know about you that we haven't gotten to talk about yet already Oh, I have a munch too. I forgot to mention that. So people are around the South Bay. uh, I do a monthly munch on the third Monday after one of the classes that I host. So it's a great way, you know, to meet people in in the community and we meet outside. So, you know, uh, with the COVIDs and stuff. And uh, yeah, so 
I don't know. I mean, there's classes and stuff, but I can send you links to all the things. Um, I do have a newsletter. So if people are like, I want to know what the happenings are, you know, my website is akinkshrink.com. And so you just go there and sign up for the newsletter. And it's just, I don't have time to send you more than once a month. You get an email that has all the things with all the links. So I, I'm continually amazed. There's just more and more that you discover you're doing. <laughs> I know. I know. I didn't even mention like I do a demo class every month. And I host <laughs> to other teachers once a month. And it's just, yeah, it's nuts. but I love it all. So it's hard to stop, you know? <laughs> I love it. You love what you're doing. Yeah. So how, what, what are some quick ways that we can stay connected with you? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, all the things. So the, so we're K is for kinky JT, uh, across the platforms, lost and found one somewhat spelled differently, depending on the platform. I will definitely send you some links that will take people to places where they can get all of the links. Right. Okay. So like my, my website, um, the newsletter will have all the things and, um, and then my profile, if people are on FetLife, I have all of the links on there as well. And so, yeah. And, you know, my my email is open for people if they want to send me messages, as long as they're patient. <laughs> if I don't get right away, I do try to get back to people within 24 to 48 hours. But, yeah, I'll send right. you all the things. Awesome. And I will make sure <laughs> to link those in, in the description of this episode. Any last words of maybe ad- advice or thoughts for newbies coming into the scene? I would say for newbies coming into the scene, it's okay to take your time. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember my time as a newbie. It can be very overwhelming. And there is so much, just looking at play, there is so much to learn. You look outside of that at power exchange and things like that, and there's even more. It's this huge world. Uh, and once we've been navigating it for a while, we forget how overwhelming it can look to somebody who's brand new. So, I would say, you know, it's normal. That's fine. It's, it is a a large world to navigate. Take your time, educate yourself, go to classes as much as you can, uh, online, in person, whatever you have available, learn, 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 read books, listen to podcasts, um, (laughs) (laughs) and just, you know, gain that information and, and go slowly. You know, I see, what breaks my heart is when I see a newbie jump in and have a bad experience through no fault of their own, possibly. Right. Um, and then leave and never come back. Mm. And I, I hate to see that happen for sure. Yeah. I, I would say just slow down. Uh, it's okay to take, <laughs> take your, your time. time. Yes. Well, I want to thank you again, Jen, for coming on the show. As always, guys, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Branded Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay geeky.